Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Today, I want to take a break from the book of Judges because we're, we're seeing a lot of the same things and the same themes, which, again, is very painful, but it's also very relevant for us. We're going to go back to the book of Judges as we continue to study through our Bible reading plan. If you want to, or if you haven't read the passages for today, it's Judges chapter 11, 12, and 13. I won't comment on those, but we're also reading in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, we've missed the entire letter to the Thessalonians here, 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 through 4. I haven't commented on any of that. We haven't had the time to do so because we're only going to be together for about 30 minutes during uh, the daily word. So I want to just kind of summarize the last couple chapters and talk to you just briefly about the le- the first letter to the Thessalonians here. We know that 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul. He's primarily writing to a Gentile audience. He was in Thessalonica. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 17, you're going to read about the church in, in Thessalonica, verses 1 through 9, if you're looking for that. Some of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter, again, because we haven't read any of this together, he wrote to encourage new believers in their trials. Obviously, the early church faced difficulties and trials, and when you give your life to Christ, especially then, you know, they didn't know what to expect, but in response to that, they would get ridicule and persecution. First, there was verbal persecution, and then came the physical persecution, and that really is how it works, by the way. Before there is physical persecution, usually there is verbal persecution um, on on a grand scale. And uh, some say that we're experiencing that today, that where we see the verbal persecution increase, you can expect that physical persecution will follow us in what we're facing today. He also wrote to them to give clear instructions about their sexuality. And this is really important. He primarily talks about what to abstain from. Uh, sexual immorality, namely, because they came out of paganism, right? So when they came out of paganism, it was they had a lot of practices, a lot of rituals um, that were very sexual in nature as they worshipped other gods and other deities. That just was a normal thing in their world and paganism. And so Paul was continuing to encourage them to live in purity, and purity was not merely to abstain. Purity was to understand sexuality as God created it, But they did need to have some restraint. They did need to know what was wrong. And really, Paul just gave them some no's, do not do. And that was important for them because they didn't have a do not do in their worldview. And so Paul tells them these things very clearly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And also, he clarifies a basic understanding of Christ's return, which actually leads us to where we are today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now let me read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. And this these verses help us to understand chapter 5 or otherwise it wouldn't quite make as much sense. So here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who, those who are dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 
He's talking about the resurrection. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one one another with these words." Obviously, they were disturbed and they were very distracted, which we're going to read here in 1 Thessalonians 5. But there was a strange teaching that was circulating, two actually. One was that Jesus had already returned. Now, this was something that people were saying during that time, not merely to or only to the church in Thessalonica, but this had actually circled a little bit wider. There were strange teachings about Christ already having returned and what that meant or implied for the believers that remained. Something was obviously wrong with them. And so this kind of strange and false teaching gave birth to other false teaching. There was another strange teaching, which he's actually responding to primarily here, and that had to do with uh, those who were uh, those who were dead— and what was going to happen to them because we were waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And we they believed during that generation that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. And so they were going to be caught up with him. Some call this the rapture. That's I'm going to save that doctrine, as it were, for another time. But they believed that there was something special reserved for the people who were in in the generation where Jesus returned physically. And it was almost like those who had died in Christ were not going to be with him. There was this mystery around what was going to happen for people that were already dead. And so this sort of gave birth to speculation and fear and concern where people that were being persecuted did not want to die, even though they were believers. And so there was just this real wackiness that had entered the church over eschatology and the end times. Now, I think that's very uh, important for us to realize because as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, something that we can relate to today is that the conspiracy theories and all of the ideologies, not just theologies, but philosophies about what's going to happen when Jesus returns, how that's going to affect us, what that means for us. And so let's go ahead and read here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm just going to read to verse 11. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now as to the times and epochs or seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, that's the imminent coming of Christ, the day he returns, the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, so then let us sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. That's the second time he says, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are 
doing. Now this right here is really important for us to understand. Paul says several things and I simply want to share those with you. We can tell again that they were very concerned about the end times. So here we have a lot of teaching that is kind of like a tree and there's many branches. A lot of speculation, a lot of controversy, a lot of conspiracy theory to the point where there was this bitterness, which we're going to see here in just a little bit, against prophecy. They had literally abandoned the prophetic because they had these so-called prophets that were circling through their town saying things like Christ had already returned and they had missed his return. And they also said that those who have died in Christ are not going to be with Christ and that in this generation you need to be watchful and be careful because you never know when he's going to come. And Paul addresses this like head on and removes the conspiracy theories and says this is what you can know. And he's definitely reflecting back on Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 where where the disciples ask Jesus after his resurrection, they say, is it this time that you're going to come into your kingdom? See, they had this messianic theology where the Messiah was actually going to rise up and Israel was going to come along his side to rule and reign with him. And so even though Jesus had died and risen again, we see this fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and many other passages, which was not the typical rabbi teaching or messianic understanding of what would happen when the Messiah comes. The disciples are still affected by their theology that they had grown up understanding about the Messiah. And so they're asking Jesus in the book of Acts, they're saying, is it this time, now that you've raised from the dead, we get it a little bit, are you going to come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at them and he says, nobody knows the day or the hour, and it is not for you to know. These have been fixed by my father and by his authority, and he is the only one that knows. And then he goes on to give them a proper focus. You will not know the times, and you will not know the day nor the hour, but you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus gives them the focus that they are supposed to have. In other words, you're not supposed to have the focus of when the day is going to occur. It does not mean that we're not watchful. It does not mean that we are not living for Christ. But he gives them the right focus. To live for Christ means that you have to be consumed with being a witness. And so it really puts to silence, it silences a lot of the controversy that we often spur around in Christian circles. Paul does that here, Jesus does that there, and we need to do that today. So there are some things that Paul, I believe, says specifically in the context of the coming of Christ. So here's the first thing that I want to say from the passage that we just read, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. He says about the world, those that do not know Christ, he said that the, the day of the Lord will come upon them like a thief in the night. Now let's be very clear. He's, he says, only to those that do not believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, will the day of the Lord, the last day, come upon them like a thief in the night or suddenly. A thief coming into your home in the middle of the night is sudden and unexpected. All right, so this is what we can know and expect for the world, but not for us. These are those that are of the, of the night. And so he specifically says that in verse 1 through 3. 
And he goes on, starting in verse 4, he says, But not for you, talking to believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, you need to be aware that the day of the Lord will not come upon you suddenly. It will not come upon you like a thief in the night. You are children of the day. You are children of the light. We will be able to discern it. We will be able to perceive it, and we will be able to receive him. Why? Because we are expecting his return. We are anticipating his return. We are praying into his return. We understand he is returning. We're watching. We're waiting. And he gives some specific things for those that are children of the light, those that do believe in Jesus, those that are awaiting his imminent return. He says, these are the ways that you posture yourselves. Now, listen, this is relevant for us right now. Because controversy is is going around like crazy in the midst of this pandemic. Every time a crisis occurs, controversy begins to circle the Christians, okay? Just circling around in our community. And we need to do what Paul says. We need to do what Jesus says. We need to put a silence to the controversy, and we need to take up the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and position ourselves properly. And maybe it was that we weren't in that in that position, and now we need to simply enter into this place that the scriptures encourage us to be. And here's the first thing he says, the coming of Christ will not overtake us. So don't be surprised or think that you will be surprised. Position yourself properly. The second thing he says is we need to be awake and we need to be sober of mind. And what partly what he's talking about there is we cannot accept false teaching. Being so, when you're, when a person's drunk, They just, they'll believe anything, they'll say anything, they're belligerent, they're intoxicated. It's not reality, it's a false reality. When you live in a false reality, all kinds of things can be true, right? You might live in Disneyland, okay? You might make a million dollars a year. All of those things sound nice when you're intoxicated, when you're inebriated, when you're drunk, but when you're awake, when you're sober, and when you're aware, and when you look into the mirror, you know exactly who you are, you know exactly where you live, you know exactly how much money you make, you don't accept falsehood, right? If you're bald, you're not going to think that you got a full head of hair. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm saying today. We're talking about living in the truth, and that's what Paul means. Do not accept false teaching. Do not accept controversy. Do not allow yourself to be distracted. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, but you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in times of abundance, in times of lack, in times of suffering, in times of advancing of the kingdom of God and the gospel going forward, in times of sadness and lament, in times of joy and thanksgiving that we are giving to God because we have peace on our borders. Regardless of the time, regardless of the moment, regardless of our experience, we are to be sober, we are to be awake, we are to accept no false teaching, we are to accept no false theology, and we are not to be distracted, we are not to live in some sense of falsehood. We've got to live in light of the word of God. We've got to live aware of his presence. We've got to live alive to the person, the presence, and the purpose of Jesus Christ and not allow anything or anybody to distract us. That's what being drunk is all about. You are distracted by falsehood. And he is saying, be sober, be sober, be awake. Number three, he says, know that the coming of Christ is imminent. We need not fear, but we must encourage one another. Here's the thing. 
As Christians, we cannot talk about the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, as though it's not going to happen, it's so far off, it doesn't matter that much. We long for Jesus to come. We want Jesus to come. Paul said it the best. He said, for me to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he wants to go and be with the Lord. He wants to be in the presence of his king. That's literally why he's living. It's what his life is all about. So he's saying, if I live in this body, if I live in this world, it's Christ. Everything I do is about Christ and his purposes. For me to die is gain. It's to be with Jesus. It's to be in the presence of the one that I served. It's to be in the presence of the one that saved me, that I long to be with. And so we need to remember Christ's coming is imminent. We need not push it off or act like it's a controversy. Jesus is coming. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are not ashamed of this. In fact, we are longing for it. The old word that used to be said was Maranatha, so come Lord Jesus. We do not say that because we don't want to be around people anymore. We live this life so that people would come to know Christ. We disciple the nations. That's what our purpose is. But we long to be with our king, and so we expect him to come. We anticipate his coming. We are watchful. We are sober, and we must encourage one another every day as we understand that the day, the day, is approaching. Jesus is coming back. Whether whether we're in the middle of a pandemic, we can say that. Whether we're in the middle of crisis, whether we're in the middle of great difficulty, or we're in a season where we have peace on all of our borders, the reality is Jesus is coming. And I want you to think about the word coming. That Greek word, it's parousia, if I said it properly. And it speaks of like a, a coming, like a coming forward. It's, it's like, if you can imagine, Jesus is coming. It's not a suddenly, it's that Jesus is on his way. He is approaching. His presence is going to increase on this earth. I mean, you can barely say it without just feeling the presence of the Lord. His presence is increasing. It's kind of like your, your battery on your phone. It just, when you plug it in, it starts to increase all the way up to 100%. We are living in a time where the presence of God, the glory of the Lord is increasing all over the earth in a way that we can feel. The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, but we begin to feel the coming of the Lord, that it's, he's drawing near. It's imminent. His return is at hand. God, the, Jesus Christ is on his way. He is coming to this world and he is going to take his place as king. He already is king, but he's going to take his place as king. So we've got to encourage one another that our king is coming. The king is returning and we've got a short window of time to tell everyone the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is at hand. It's so close you can reach out and touch it. It's so close you can see it. The kingdom is at hand. We know that there will be signs of his coming, signs of his return. And we see these signs, wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence. These are birth pains. And isn't that the same language that Paul literally gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? He says that for those who do not know Jesus, it will come upon them suddenly like birth pains 
um, that come when a woman is pregnant, when she's giving, right before she gives birth, it's like suddenly the contractions come. All of a sudden, she's been living life uncomfortably for a period of time. Uh, I don't know this personally, but I've watched my wife go through it. She's living life with, uh, with an uncomfortable, in an uncomfortable way. Where there is an expectation of a child, but all of a sudden, in a moment, wham, contractions start. Pain begins. That's what it's going to be like for the world, the coming of Christ, but not for us. Why? Because we've anticipated that baby the entire nine months. We have seen signs. We have seen growth. We have felt the presence of God. We have seen the glory of God. The signs of Scripture are starting to come. We're seeing some of those right now, but not in the increased measure that we will. Ladies and gentlemen, we will not be deceived. It is not going to be like, oh, is it now? Is it now? Do not buy the latest bestseller and think that there's some cryptic code that you and I don't get. There's some numerology, some omen that people have not interpreted, something that everybody else doesn't get except for these few. I get videos all the time and people are trying to number things. People are trying to figure out this means that. If you just look back over the last 50 to 100 years, people have always been trying to figure it out. And I'm sure before that, but we have a lot of material over the last hundred years where people are trying to figure out just when Jesus is coming. Here's the deal. We need not be distracted with the day or the hour. We already know he's coming. We do not need to be convinced of that. The question is, are we living the way that Christ has called us to live in light of his coming? That's what we need to be consumed with. That's what we need to be focused on. And that's what helps us not to shrink back in his presence. We can rise up. We can stand up. We can stand up in the presence of God knowing that we are focused on what he is all about. Now, in light of this, Paul then goes on to give a lot of instruction. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 through 22. And it feels kind of like a, a shotgun. If, if you read it, it's, it's like a shotgun of all these various things that, that we need to do not merely in light of his coming, but just as Christians. This is how we ought to posture ourselves. This is how we ought to live our lives. And so I just want to read those to you and we'll comment as we do. And first he says in verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, what he's talking about is leaders, those who are working hard, diligently in the Lord, teaching and preaching and leading and serving. He's saying those leaders who are among you that have been given charge over you, acknowledge them, appreciate them, pay attention to them, follow their example. This is what Paul is saying, that there are, there are people that are not worth following and there are people who are worth following. Those who you are connected to, those who God has given charge in your life, influence in your life as leaders. Pay attention to them. Appreciate them. Acknowledge them. Now, I am a leader, and so this can sound sort of strange for me saying this. I'm not saying it because I want you to do this for me, but I am saying this, that God has given leadership for a reason. Leaders are called to keep people together, keep people focused on the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. I, I can tell you this, just even in this time right now, People are all over the place, all right? And there's just, in a pandemic, there can be pandemonium. In a pandemic, there can be fear, there can be panic. There's all kinds of 
tributaries. We need leaders who are keeping us focused on the river of life. What is Jesus about? What is Jesus calling us to do? And you know what? Right now, we need to be consumed with making disciples. We need to be consumed with reaching people in the name of Jesus. We need to be consumed with raising our families in the ways of the Lord. We need to be consumed with living our life in a way that pleases the person of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be all kinds of temptations, but right now, we don't need leaders that are just going to take a stand or tell everybody what to do in some kind of opinionated way. We need leaders who are reading this book are praying into what God is saying and are leading the people to be a people of prayer, to be a people that literally reject and renounce fear and lay hold of the clear purpose in scripture. I know it's not attractive. I know sometimes people act like it's not enough. I get this all the time. I get it where people think, you know, you should not just be, you know, be praying right now as though prayer is like inactivity or passivity. We reject that idea right now. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is scriptural. Prayer is a posture of humility before God. Any leader that leads their people to prayer is doing what the Bible says. Any leader that is leading their people to evangelize is doing what the Bible says. Any leader that is leading their people to make disciples, to be otherly, to focus on the other, to go after other people, and to sacrifice themselves and to give themselves for the sake of people knowing Jesus Christ, that person is following the words and the ways of Jesus, and they should be acknowledged, they should be appreciated, and those people should be backed up by those that are in their lives. That's what Paul is talking about. Why? Because there is false theology, false prophets, false teachers, falsehood that is circling around Christian communities, controversy everywhere. And in the midst of that, there's got to be people that are taking a stand for the Bible. There's got to be people that are taking a stand for what we know we are supposed to do. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 7. Jesus is being asked by his disciples, is it at this time? Is it at this time? Jesus, all everybody's talking about it. Why aren't you addressing it, Jesus? Why aren't you talking about it? Is this the time you're going to come into your kingdom and Israel's going to come alongside you? Hey, we're, we're going to get those good seats right next to you? Is, is it right now? Is, is, is this the time? Is the controversy true? Can we settle what everybody's talking about? Can you tell us directly? And Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour. I'm not going to tell you. You shouldn't be focused on that. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the reason you have that power is so that you will be witnesses, martyrions, willing to suffer, willing to die, willing to be sacrificed, emulating Jesus Christ, giving your life away so that other people could know Jesus. It's the reason he came. It's the example that he gave. Jesus gave his life so that we could know him. And now he tells his disciples, give your life so that people could know me. That's a leader. That is a leader. And we reject other ideas. That's what it means to spiritually lead. Acknowledge, appreciate those who are giving instruction in the midst of the falsehood, controversy, speculation. This is vital. Then he goes on to say here in verse 13, and you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That speaks to unity. We need to unify together, especially for us during this time. I think it very much relates to where we are right now. We need to live in unity. And let me just tell you, I don't expect everybody 
to feel the same way about everything. I don't expect everybody to just get in line and agree with every sentiment, every sense of, of, of what, and every detail of what all of us might be thinking right now. I've talked to a number of, of people from our church. There are different ideas. There are different thoughts. I respect that. But when it comes to Christ, when it comes to his purposes, when it comes to the word, when it comes to our focus, we've got to have that down. We've got to know exactly where we need to zone in, what we need to be about. That is so important. The only way that we can have peace together right now is if we keep the main thing the main thing. Otherwise, we will not have unity. There is no way. I've talked to a number of our own church and people from other churches. I love the body of Christ, but we disagree on a lot of things. We have differences. We have preferences. We have various emphasis. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we can come together because of the main thing. But all of a sudden, the main thing, when it is not what is most important, and somebody says, well, you need to do this more, or you need to do that more, what we're doing without saying it is we're making a lesser thing. We're making a tributary the main waterway, and we cannot do that. It will keep us in disunity. He says, live at peace with everyone. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. When he talks about admonish the unruly, he's talking about correcting those who are idle and disruptive. Those who are espousing their opinions, their views, and they won't stop. Those who are not allowing leaders to lead the way of keeping the main thing, the main thing. Those that are having secret and private gatherings and they're trying to stir controversy and they're suggesting that whatever we're doing is not enough. These people are continuing the controversy rather than taking up the purpose. Listen to me. I've been a Christian 21 years and I have watched a lot of people go off on all kinds of things and it is happening right now. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, those of you that are from our church, those of you that are from the body of Christ, do not allow yourself to follow the controversy. Do not allow yourself to follow secondary issues. It doesn't mean you can't care about some things. That's not what I mean. I just mean that we've got to humble ourselves and ask the question, are we really focused on what pleases Jesus right now? Are we really taking up the cause of Christ that he gave his life for, that Jesus spilt his precious blood for? This is so vital for us. And he says, listen, you need to confront, you need to admonish the unruly, those that are idle, those that are spinning the controversy, those that are talking about the lesser things as the most important things, and they won't stop. That's what we need to do. Why? Because we won't keep unity unless we do. That's a job that I have, and that's a job that I will gladly take up so that we can stay on the path. And those of you that are pastors, you need to do that. Don't hope things get better. That's not good leadership. We need to speak to the issues that are causing controversy. We need to speak to the issues that are causing people unrest and try to do that the best that we can. He goes on to say, Encourage the faint-hearted, those that are full of fear right now, those that are depressed and in difficulty. We need to encourage one another, absolutely. Help the weak, be patient with everyone. We have to be patient with one another in these times. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. We're always seeking the welfare of one another, the good of one another. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from from every form of evil. The reason that they despised prophesying was because they had all of these 
so-called prophets come through and say Jesus had returned or those that had died in Christ were not going to be with him like those who were alive. So they had these so-called prophets say these things. Then Paul is now saying that stuff isn't true. The controversy isn't true. Don't believe the hype. And so they've actually started to despise prophesying. And isn't that what we do theologically today? When we see that there's been abuse or misuse of prophecy, we just shut it all down. There's, there's theology literally devoted to just saying the gifts of the Spirit aren't real. There are no prophets today. Prophecy is not a real thing. Prophecy just means to read the Bible and understand it correctly. That is not what prophecy is. Prophecy is, is what it always has been. It's to speak forth the present priorities of God, and it's to predict the things that God is speaking about beforehand, not as a prognosticator, but speaking out what God is doing. And some people get it wrong. There is abuse in the prophetic. That does happen. But Paul says, do not despise prophesying because some people get it wrong. They're not the Bible. They're not Jesus. And they don't have precedence over what we do, what we say, and what we believe. He says that what you need to do is examine everything carefully in order to find what is good. It's like you're rumbling through all the dirt to find the diamond. You don't want to be an expert on dirt. You want to be an expert on diamonds. We rumble through the dirt to find the diamond. We examine everything carefully and we hold fast to that which is good because what is good is important. What is good is what we want. What is good is what God gives. And so we don't want to discount what is bad and not get what is good. And so we want to make sure that if we've lived in a, in, a, in a world where we've seen a lot of misuse, abuse when it comes to spiritual gifts, yeah, Ben, I've seen all those people talking about prophecy. See, here's what will happen. Because there's been so much abuse talking about the end of the world, eschatology, end time, so many videos, movies, so many controversies, blogs, all of those clips, all of that has happened. And so what can happen to us is we can lose good theology about the end times, about Jesus's imminent return. We can start to despise the very conversation that you and I need to have right now, that Jesus is coming. We can despise that conversation because people have mishandled that, that actual truth. And we, we need not do that. False prophets should not have a powerful voice in our lives. We renounce their words. We don't listen to their voice. So we focus on scripture. We welcome the prophetic, the true prophetic. We examine things carefully because we're looking for the real thing. And here's what we want to do today as we wrap up the daily word and we're talking about Christ's return. Let's pray together and let's ask God for fresh discernment in our times. Don't you want discernment? I want to know what God is saying. I want to know what God wants me to focus on. I want to know how to posture myself. I don't, I don't want to be drifting. I don't want to be believing weird things. I don't want to tolerate that. I don't want to get mad at people, but I want to be so focused, folk, laser focused right now. That's what we need. That's what we need to be is laser focused. What has God called us to do? What do we need to be about? There's a lot of things. If you ask me questions, you say, what do you think about this? Here's what I'll tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. But what do you know? That's what I speak to. Okay, this I know for the Bible tells me so. There are a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. But what I do know 
is that we are to be focused on the person and the purpose of Christ. What I do know is that Jesus is going to return. What I do know is that we need to be awake and we need to be sober. What I do know is that we need to encourage those who are faint-hearted and discouraged. What I do know is that we need to admonish and correct those who are spinning controversy and getting out of hand. What I do know is that we need to live in unity and peace and we need to call together a prayer movement, an evangelism movement, a discipleship movement in our day and not trust in the past or in the history or what we've experienced. What about now? What are we willing to sacrifice today to see the movement of God in the world that we live in? That's what it's all about. God is looking for a people that will give up their life to see a revival, to see a movement of the Spirit that looks like what we read about in the book of Acts. Let everybody else focus on all that other stuff. But what we focus on is the revival that is at hand. And if we're going to do that, it is going to take our life. It is going to consume our hearts and our minds. It is going to restore our passion. And we will see, we will see what God wants to do. Just as it says in Psalm 27, 13, The psalmist writes, I would have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is what we're after. We want to see the goodness of the Lord, the salvation of our God, the deliverance of Jesus, the healing power through the Holy Spirit, the encouragement and the hope that comes knowing that he is returning. We're all about it. And we're going to pray into discernment this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we seek God knowing that his return is imminent. Father, we thank you today, and we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for what you've done. And Lord, I just want to thank you for your word today. God, your word gives us such clear instruction, such fresh encouragement. Even right now, I feel like although this book has, in some cases, been written two and 3,000 years ago, as I read it, I feel like fresh bread has been given to us today. That it's like your spirit through the Apostle Paul just struck a chord and spoke right into the circumstances that we're in. Why? Because we're still human beings. Culture changes, technology changes, but the human heart has remained the same. We still have the same needs. We still have the same longing. We were created by you for you. We still have the same purpose. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that your word would take up such residence in our heart that your purpose would be our purpose, that your heart would be our heart. And I ask for great discernment for me and for our people. For those at Northwest Church, God, first, I just pray that we would be a church that is discerning. Like the sons of Issachar, we knew the times and we knew the seasons. We knew what we were supposed to be about. And Lord, right now, we we believe that there is a clear focus to make disciples and to bring people to Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be clearly focused on this. Help us not be distracted. I pray, God, that the distractions would clear up in our minds. Father, admonish us right now. If we're allowing controversy, if we're allowing the spinning of stories, if we're allowing ourselves to be distracted and even disruptive, correct us right now and refocus us, Lord. Help us to be refocused. And maybe that's the word is that we need to refocus right now. We need to dial in. We need to tune in and we need to focus in. So, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us today, and I thank you for your word again, God. It just does something to me every day when I read it. It sets our day right. It gives us what we need for today. And so, Lord, we look forward, and we expect your coming. Help us to live in light of your coming, knowing that we're going to stand before you. 
We thank you for that today in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.